In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room And I would invite you in this moment to place both feet on the floor And just breathe in and breathe in and bring your energy field completely into your body. Not just in your head, but into your heart and into your gut. And to anchor yourself in this moment, connected to this beautiful earth. And in that presencing, in that anchoring, we become more available to that divine essence that lives in and through and as ourselves. There's no place within us where that experience is not available when we breathe, simply breathing and allowing, relaxing and allowing, breathing deeply. So as we come together in that energetic, in that field of vibrational frequency, our prayer becomes more deep and rich, powerful. So what I know in this moment on behalf of myself and each person here, as I speak these words from that grounded awareness of the truth of my being and all of life, that there is one life, that life is God's life, that life is perfect, and I claim that on behalf of each person here, that life is my life. And I celebrate that. I know that as I bask in this awareness in this moment that everything necessary for you and I to be aware of, to look at, to put down, to embrace, to welcome, to release, whatever it may be. I know that we are guided and directed standing in that complete oneness with spirit. This day is a day of gratitude, a, a day of peace, a day of beauty, celebration, and opportunity for each and every one of us. And so I stand with you in that awareness, in that perspective, knowing that this service this day and the blessing of the music, the blessing of the words, the blessing of the vibration of the Most High that we generate together collectively, I just give thanks, knowing every good thing necessary for us to experience has its way by means of us. For this, I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. And thank you, Robin. I would, uh, we're, we're uh, so welcome. And happy Thanksgiving. So it's a beautiful weekend. Beautiful weather, huh? Man, oh man, I'm just loving this. Um, I'd like to invite one of our, um, our small group ministry leaders
to come up and share a little bit. I've got, I just, we're launching it again, and I want to talk about the beauty of that and, and the impact of that. So I'm going to invite Carol, Carolyn Collin to come forward. Carolyn, here she comes. I told her she looks like a Hollywood movie star today, so really good. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So I, and Carolyn, I asked her if she would share a bit about small groups. So talk a little bit about your small group experience because you were the leader, right, of the small group? Yeah. Yeah, I helped to facilitate it along with uh, Vanessa, who, Vanessa Bodner, I think she's here today. She uh, assisted me with the process, but it was a five-month-long journey, uh, eight beautiful women taking the journey with me, and it was centered around this book called Madly in Love with Me, and it was just learning about the concepts of self-love. And the really good thing, I guess, about small group, I was going to take the journey on my own, and then Barb Gobert in our foundations class had said, would you be interested in leading a group? And I never really thought about it, but I thought, that would be really great because then I don't have to take this journey alone. Mm -hmm. So we did it together and I think there was a lot of breakthroughs. Uh, there was one for me personally. I was at this Toastmasters convention and I was just sitting around a table and there was a bunch of people there and just spontaneously I looked over at my right shoulder and I kissed it. And I, I didn't even know where that came from but I, I paused and I was like, I wonder if anybody else saw that. But I noticed in that moment that there was a lot of that these concepts in this book were really starting to integrate themselves into my system and I was able to do that for Beautiful. myself. <laughs> and, you're, and now you're launching another small group. Yeah, so the next one, the, the, the group had suggested we do something a little bit lighter and I'm not sure if this one will be lighter but it's called If the Buddha Dated and it's a handbook for finding love on a spiritual path. So, so you see the theme? Self-love and then, self -love and then the dating love. There you go. It's brilliant. <laughs> so we have a sign-up sheet at the back, and it looks awesome. like we have only three more open chairs. So if you're interested, I would rush back there and put your name on. Awesome. So, yeah. I'm going to go back there right now. No, okay. I, I'm, I'll do it later. <laughs> awesome. And men, men are welcome. This really? is not just like wow. a women thing. We all need to find love and give cool. love. So, yeah. Thank you, Carolyn, yeah. for, for, for sharing your... Thank you a bit of your experience. So it's, and if you have more questions, you know who Carolyn is, there's a number of our, our small group leaders. It's a, it's a wonderful, very organic process. And it's one of the ways that we stay connected. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about that today in my, in my presentation. So I thank you, thank you for staying for both services and your service to the community. Carolyn's just a, uh, she's always ready, willing and able to step in and help us with so many things. And it's so appreciated on this day of gratitude and, and thanksgiving. So I want to tell you a little story. Uh, the slide is, uh, there's the slide, transformative power of gratitude. And as you can see, my, my, my font is a little big to get it all in there, but you know what it means. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture of nature. And I started on this journey of inquiry and putting this discussion together today um, around this, this powerful uh, process of, of gratitude and, and what that does for us. And then along the way, I had an experience that really sort of uh, inform me as to what I think what I was being called to look at and perhaps share. We, Laura and I, on, on uh, Thursday, I was coming out of the Bonnie Dune Mall, I was in there and doing a little business, and I came out and I ran into uh, Phil Haig, and, and Phil is the father of Alex Thomas Haig, and he and his wife, Lorna Thomas Haig, uh, Alex took his own life about two years ago, and we had his memorial here, and he was a young man in his 20s, early 20s, and uh, it was just devastating for the family and the community, and they lived down in Riverdale. This place was just filled to the brim with people. We had people sitting everywhere. We had every chair that we own in here. People were on the steps. People were in the foyer. 
I, there was well over 400 people in this uh, building. And it was just so profound. And so I saw Phil and he said, we're doing a fundraiser tonight for mental health. And I said, really, where? And he told me it was at the Yellowhead Brewery and they had, they had set up, a, they were selling tickets and then there was a silent auction. And so I told Laura about it and I said, you know, I really feel like we should go. So we went down there and, and we watched, it was beautiful. There was, there was a concert done by some amazing local artists. And, and there was a lot of conversation around mental illness, mental health and depression. And so I came home and I, I, I was ruminating in that and I went online and I started looking at different speakers around this idea of depression and what is at the core of this because so, you know, it's, it still has touched so many lives and so many of us have been touched by depression. Many of us have had friends and loved ones that have ended their lives. And so when I, in, the, in the research what I looked at was I found that, that depression is based on perception. And what happens for many of us in this modern day where we live now, uh, there's a flight or fight syndrome that we all carry, and it's the capacity for survival. And what happens for many people, from what the research that I found, was that we go into this to defend ourselves or protect ourselves. It's a very necessary mechanism in our, in our psyche uh, to, to assure or try to assure safety and the continuation of the species. And in flight or fight, we go into a state of heightened awareness and there's a certain amount of, uh, of things that start to happen within us. With people that go into depression, the flight or fight uh, doesn't shut off and they stay there. And there's devastating effects to that. And the perception narrows and narrows and narrows so that eventually you, we become so constricted and dark and we stay that way. And so there's no opportunity to step out of that, that mindset for the most part. And then I, in, the, in the more research I, I looked at, that, that right now, the way the depression numbers are tracking, now this is in the US, this is, but I would imagine some of it pollinates to Canada because we're, very, we're similar in some capacities. Uh, and you know, being a, having lived here for 13 years, I know that it's a uniquely beautiful country, but I think in the West, we all sort of share certain things. Uh, and, I, and so I believe it's alive here from what I've seen as well. And percentage-wise in the U.S., 75% of all people in North America will experience depression. Now, in my age group, 60 and above, just turned 61 yesterday, and so really happy about that. Yeah! And the good news is I took the test on Facebook. There's 10 questions that you answer on Facebook tells you how long you're going to live. I'm going to 125. Boy, that Facebook is valuable, isn't it? I had no idea. I got another 64 years left. This is great. I'm only halfway there. <sighs> we'll see how that goes, okay? Anyway, but in my age group, 10% have, have, are challenged by depression. But when we look at Alex's age group, the age of 15 to 25, 25% of that group is challenged with severe depression. And, challenge, and so this is very interesting. And 25% of that age group, 25% of the deaths in that age group are from depression and suicide. So, and they, what they project right now with what we know is that as they grow into senior citizens eventually, that will be over 50% for them. 50% of that population will be struggling with depression. And it's like, man, oh man, we're living in this. We see it everywhere we look. And so, and it's, this has a happy ending, by the way. So I want to set up a little bit of this with a, a video. I'm going to show you the first three and a half minutes and then you're going to have to wait to the end to see the last six. But it's a wonderful video by a guy named uh, Louis Schwartzberg. 
And Louis has done some amazing work on the planet that all of us have witnessed and, and celebrated. So I'm going to invite, this is Louis doing a TED Talk in San Francisco. It's great to be back in my old stomping grounds of San Francisco. When I graduated UCLA, I moved to Northern California, and I lived in a little town called Elk on the Mendocino Coast. And um, I didn't have a phone or TV, but I had U.S. mail. And uh, life was good back then, if you could remember it. Um, I'd go to the general store for a cup of coffee and a brownie, and I'd ship my film to San Francisco, and lo and behold, two days later, it would end up on my front door, which was way better than having to fight the traffic of uh, Hollywood. I didn't have much money, but I had time and a sense of wonder. So I started shooting time-lapse photography. It would take me a month to shoot a four-minute roll of film, because that's all I could afford. I've been shooting time-lapse flowers continuously, non-stop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for over 30 years. And to see them move is a dance I'll never get tired of. Their beauty immerses us with color, taste, touch. It also provides a third of the food we eat. Beauty and seduction is nature's tools for survival because we protect what we fall in love with. It opens our hearts and makes us realize we are a part of nature and we're not separate from it. When we see ourselves in nature, it also connects us to every one of us because it's clear that it's all connected in one. When people see my images, a lot of times they'll say, oh my God. Have you ever wondered what that meant? The O means it caught your attention. It makes you present, it makes you mindful. The my means it connects with something deep inside your soul. It creates a gateway for your inner voice to rise up and be heard. And God, God is that personal journey we all want to be on, to be inspired, to feel like we're connected to a universe that celebrates life. Did you know that 80% of the information we receive comes through our eyes. And if you compare light energy to musical scales, it would only be one octave that the naked eye could see, which is right in the middle. And aren't we grateful for our brains that can you know, take this electrical impulse that comes from light energy to create images in order for us to explore our world? And aren't we grateful that we have hearts that can feel these vibrations in order for us to allow ourselves to feel the pleasure and the beauty of nature. Nature's beauty is a gift that cultivates appreciation and gratitude. So I have a gift I want to share with you today, a project I'm working on called Happiness Revealed. And it'll give us a glimpse into that perspective from the point of view of a child and an elderly man of that world. So that's Louis. I'll show you the other half, but that means you have to stay. You can't just take off, you know. <laughs> Method to my madness. Uh, but such a beautiful commitment. Here's a man that has been filming nature nonstop for 30 years and his time-lapse photography. And I, I love when he says beauty... Uh, Beauty and seduction are nature's tools because we care for what we adore, what we love. 
and it's so true. And, and, and so this work he's done, and I'll, I'll share the other half, as I said, in a, in a few moments, but I wanted to just set up what, what I was called to in terms of this, this gratitude and appreciation, why it's so important for all of us. And Louis, Louis opens, opened a doorway for me that is so simple and so beautiful and powerful, and I, wanted, and I know that so many of us are connected with that. So in the... Uh, um, can I get a little more light down here? Because I can't read my notes. Either I'm going blind or there's no light. Okay, I'll... Is it coming? Creeping back. I'll lean back like this. Ta-da! Anyway. So on this... So what, what's Stephen Illard done? Now, Stephen Illard is a researcher that's been doing this work for over 20 years. He's a, he's a professor at um, the University of Kansas. And so I went online and I found that he says, he, he says depression is a, is a symptom of the modern day of civilization. Then they've studied groups in uh, indigenous people in isolated areas like Papua New Guinea. There's a, a tribe there that they, uh, a researcher studied for 10 years. They don't suffer from the same things that we suffer for. Uh, from, uh, you know, um, so many of these things, the uh, diseases of civilization are called. So in their environment, it's, it's very rigid and it's very difficult life. There's a lot of infant mortality and there's war that goes on with other tribes, not within the tribe. But, but they don't suffer from these uh, diseases of civilization. They don't suffer from diabetes. They don't suffer from an atherosclerosis. They don't suffer from asthma, allergies, obesity, cancer. And as Stephen Illard said, they don't suffer from depression. Uh, so their whole lifestyle and, and, the, and the stresses in it are different. But isn't it interesting that we have these things within our culture? And especially depression. When I went, uh, the, the experience I had with Alex and watching his family, they're still processing. They're still, there's still a, a sense of mourning in it. And, and, and then I read the statistics about how prolific it is with that age group. And I thought, what, what are we missing here? We've never been so connected through the internet. We've never had so much information. And what is it that we're missing where, we're not, where, where these young people are not connected with something that's rich and wonderful within their lives that, that, that uh, causes them to narrow their perspective so much that life becomes too painful to want to even live? And for me, that's just a, that's a wake-up call. And so I wanted to look at it a bit and touch upon this because there's a vast body of information. But what Dr. Stephen Illardi said is we're never designed for the sedentary indoor, socially isolated, fast food-laden, sleep-deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. We just weren't that way. And he goes back in his, one of his lectures on, on, uh, on TED, he talks about up until 1780 when the Industrial Revolution started, m most people were hunters-gatherers. There was farming, but most of it was hunters-gatherers. And then in 1780, it all shifted. And he said, there hasn't been the adaption within us, uh, the adaptive things within our genomes within our gene structure to adapt to this, this culture we're in. But he also said the good news is he came up with a whole, a whole uh, modality that he calls, um, I'm sorry, it's on my notes here, Therapeutic Lifestyle Changes, TLC, Therapeutic Lifestyle Changes. What motivated him, if we can go to the next slide, were these ideas. 75% of all people in North America will experience depression at some point in their lives. Depression is a, is a disease of perception. The perception narrows so much that it becomes, and you spin in it and spin it, and it's very difficult to get out of it. Perception becomes constricted and dark and stays that way. Mental health is contingent upon perception. 
We talk, we, we hear many times, you'll hear Wayne Dyer has a book, that Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. Well, that comes from Ernest Holmes. But it's, it's not even that. It's changing your way of being and change your life. But it starts with our thinking. Our thinking is one of the portals to go through that. It's biological, it's social, and it's psychological. 90% of people with depression, they are di- diagnosable and they're treatable. 90%. And 25% of deaths, as I said, 15 to 25-year-olds are suicides in that age group. So we know these things. And when, when Dr. Ilardi came up with his therapy, he was blown away by the results. Blown away by the results of, it, of these lifestyle changes. And I want to share those with you because for me, to live a healthy-minded life in all levels of our being is, is our opportunity. It's our gift. To be able to open our eyes, as we saw with Louis, with this time-lapse photography. I mean, isn't it amazing? This man just, he went up there and just did his thing. And and now we we share the benefit of his passion for photographing nature 24-7 for 30 years. Well, what they have found with with, uh, Dr. Alardis and many of the other researchers around this idea of depression is that, number one, if we could put the next slide up. Perfect. Number one is physical activity, physical exercise. And most people don't like to exercise. We are not, he's, Dr. Ilardi describes it, he says, we're not set up to exercise. You look at, the, uh, you look at the, the treadmill or the elliptical, and there's something within inside of you that just goes, no, no, I'm not doing that. Are you out of your mind? But what's happened is when we shifted out of that, uh, that hunter-gatherer system, because the, the, uh, the tribe that they studied in New Guinea, they don't exercise. It would be ridiculous for those guys. Most of them, when they're in their 60s and 70s, if they live that long, look like elite athletes because they work four hours a day. Their, their lifestyle, their, their, their lifestyle and just the work they do to survive is their exercise. So we're not geared towards exercise. And so what I would say to you is when you look at the elliptical or you look at the treadmill and you go, no, 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 you just get to say, oh yeah, there's that part of my brain that doesn't like to exercise, but I'm gonna do it anyway. But what, what they now know from all this extensive research is if we do, if I do 30 minutes, three times a week of just rapid walking, like you're gonna miss the bus, 30 minutes, three times a week, it elevates us to a point that we cannot even describe. He said it is phenomenal what it does for our physiology and our mental outlook and our perception. He says, it's amazing. It is more powerful than any pill they have. One out of nine people in the United States of America have, used anti- are, are, uh, have tried antidepressants, and one out of five are still on them from the age of 12 up. But to go out and, and move for th- 30 minutes three times a week, he said, it is amazing what happens. Now, these are therapies they've worked with people over a series of years, been phenomenal results. He talks about omega-3s and omega-6s. He said that with, with, the, with the, the food and, and this fast food uh, uh, production, it's, it's out of balance with the omega-3s. Do you know that, that our brains, so when someone calls you, more, our brains are mostly fat. So when someone calls you a fathead, that's a good thing. It is. Isn't it nice to know? People have call me a fathead my whole life, and now I realize it's a compliment. Anyway, omega-3s and omega-6s have to be in balance. Right now, the ratio, so it should be 1 to 1 or 1 to 2. Right now, the balance is 1 to 17. And, and, and the 17 is the omega-6s. The omega-6s are the things, the high-carbohydrate, highly-processed things. So when we're out of balance like that, it creates, creates inflammation. So it's fascinating. And so what I found over the last year and a half, because I was in so much pain, I actually had to stop eating certain things that were highly processed. And my pain level 
after a month of doing it, my pain was completely gone for the most part. From 100% to probably 2%. It was fascinating, just by switching. So I know that, and what I know, about, what I know about myself is that if I'm in pain, I have a really hard time being present. When I'm in physical pain, I have a really hard time diving into my spiritual practice. Because my physical body is a big part of who and what I am. And so I knew that if I was going to continue to do what I want to do and what I'm called to do in joy and appreciation, I was going to have to shift some things. And it wasn't one piece, it was many things. So this whole thing around what is inflaming these joints in me, I had to stop. Number three is sunlight. To get the right proper sunlight. I've shared with many people over the last couple of years, when it starts to get this time of year, I, I, I just want to hibernate. And Dr. Ilardi's got a whole section in some of his research explaining that whole phenomena. And I thought, wow, this is amazing stuff. Healthy sleep. Allowing ourselves to sleep and to rest. I would say spiritual practice, meditation and prayer, mindfulness, getting to the end of the day with a certain amount of exercise so the body's a bit tired and the mind is at rest and at peace. Meditation isn't for God. Meditation is for us so that we can show up more present with ourselves. We did a lot of work at the leadership last week around energy and about simply allowing ourselves to be in our bodies. So many of us are always in our head. There's a beautiful piece that uh, our facilitator brought with her around the neurology of leadership. And what they now know is that we have three brains. One is the head, one is the heart, one is the gut. And most of us process everything in our heads. And the problem with that, or the challenge with that, is every time we're in our head spinning, it's negative. Because that's what the mind knows what to do. And so to have practices, and part of this would be to sit still and to be able to move our energy totally into our body as I invited you to do when we were doing our prayer. We become so grounded in our being and we're in our hearts and we're in our guts. There's actually more neurotransmitters to our heart and our gut than there is to our brain. So it's, it's, it's understandable we would always process in our heads because that's what's been modeled for us. But there's a depth to us and that's what meditation provides for us. And so when we have those practices in place, we sleep better because there's nothing to worry about. We're not making up stories. The next one is the anti-ruminative activity. You know what ruminative is? It's worry. It's worry. Most people's spiritual practice that I've experienced is worry. If I worry about it just a little more, I'll fix it. Anybody have that spiritual tool? And there are ways to do that. There are ways to distract ourselves. But first, it's mindfulness to figure out, hey, I'm worrying again. Hmm. Wow. That's never had very productive results. But, it's, but we're, we're sort of domesticated that way. And the last one is social connection. Did you know that, now this is not Canadians, this is an American research, but half of all Americans, 50% of all Americans do not have a close friend. 50% do not have a close friend. When we talk about small group here, what I realize is community. We come together in this larger community, and then we come together in the smaller groups. But it's a, it's a really powerful thing. The, the, the benefits of, of connection with friends and family and community is so powerful. It is, it is so powerful. And, it is, it, and, and they talk about it with the... Um, I wrote the name of the tribe down, and I wanted to get it right. In New Guinea, uh, Kaluli, the Kaluli tribe in Papua New Guinea. New Guinea. But they spend 24-7 together in the group. They're always together. Uh, because we're, we, and, and up until the Industrial Revolution, we were always together. 
We were growing crops together. We were harvesting. We were planting. We were having meals together. 50% of the people in the United States do not have a close friend. And so our spirit longs for that connection. I know my spirit longs for that connection. It's one of the, I've said over and over the last couple of years, I, I draw into community. You know, people ask me, how long are you going to do this? And I think, as long as I can. I love community. I love getting together like this. I love doing the work. I mean, for me, it's just so rich and wonderful. But isn't it interesting what's happened? And then if we look at the statistic that the age 15 to 25-year-olds, they've traded in FaceTime with one another, one-on-one, for Facebook. Not a bad thing. I love the internet. I love being able to gather information. I love this thing. You know, my birthday yesterday, I got all these things on Facebook. Happy birthday from people I know and people I don't know. But, you know, then that's great. People don't have to waste a stamp. It's like, boom, it's done. Good. Thanks so much. But it is so important for us to stay connected in community. We are born to connect. We are born to connect. And And so... One of the things that I know I'm, we're called within our community is to help support that. And that's what small groups do. So it doesn't really matter what stuff you're working on. It's that connection. It's the conversation. What we find also, which is more powerful, what they're finding is it's actually more important to get together and do something than it is to sit. It's great to sit down and talk, but it's even more valuable to, to come together and do something, which explains our men's group, which has always fallen apart. Because the men's group would always say, well, let's build something. So the men's group would build a fence, and then all of a sudden the whole group would dissipate. And I thought there was something wrong, when in fact they were just fulfilling what the, how they're wired. We're here to do something. Oh, nothing to do. I don't want to sit around and talk about my feelings. I'm going to go do something. And three people on the way out told me they have fences for us to build, and there's a shed for us to build. So I got a whole list of stuff for the guys to do now. We can get together and do stuff. Social connection. When you find yourself worrying, anti-ruminative activity, healthy sleep, sunlight, omega-3s, dietary, physical exercise. So it's not one magic, one magic thing. And so you look at this, it could be overwhelming, but you could start with one. I realized that I got in so much pain, I was in so much pain, I had to make a change. Because the way my quality of life was diminished so much, and I said, man, whatever it takes... Part of the thing around the, the, the eliminating things in my diet is to, to move down that path again for me is so painful, it doesn't even appeal to me. It's like, ah, eh, well, thanks. Been there, done that. Not doing that anymore because I feel so good. And I like it when I can move. So we have this epidemic on the planet that all of us are impacted by. I don't know of anyone that hasn't been touched by someone that's been uh, depressed or someone that has lost a loved one due to depression and suicide. We've all been touched by it. And, and you see the generation that's coming behind us that has created so many, that their culture has been created. How do we mentor and nurture these, these practices for ourselves and perhaps share that with them in a more productive way? Look at all the man hours and the, and, the, and the resources that would be saved if we incorporated more and more of these qualities into our lives. It's, it's amazing. What would, what would then free us up to do perhaps things that were more impactful and more creative? So I want to share with you uh, the rest of Louis' film because it's a wonderful way. And on this, this Thanksgiving weekend, I have to tell you, I'm so grateful for this information. I'm so grateful to be part of this tradition and to be guided and directed in ways that I think adds value to, to what, how we want to live, live a fulfilled life and live a, a life that is connected to that, that deep, beautiful presence that all of us contain. When 
I watch TV. It's just some shows that you just that are pretend, and and when you explore, you get more imagination than you already had. And um, when you get more imagination, it makes you want to go deeper in, so you can get more and see beautiful things. Like it could the path. If it's a path, it could leave you. It could lead you to a beach or something, and it could be beautiful. You think this is just another day in your life? It's not just another day. It's the one day that is given to you today. It's given to you. It's a gift. It's the only gift that you have right now, and the only appropriate response. Is gratefulness. If you do nothing else but to cultivate that response to the great gift that this unique day is, if you learn to respond as if it were the first day in your life. And the very last day, then you will have spent this day very well. Begin by opening your eyes and be surprised that you have eyes you can open. That incredible array of colors that is constantly offered to us for pure enjoyment. Look at the sky. We so rarely look at the sky. We so rarely note how different it is from moment to moment with clouds coming and going. We just think of the weather, and even of the weather, we don't think of all the many nuances of weather. We just think of good weather and bad weather. This day, right now, is unique weather. Maybe a kind that will never exactly in that form come again. The formation of clouds in the sky will never be the same that is right now. Open your eyes. Look at that. Look at the faces of people whom you meet. Each one has an incredible story behind their face. Story that you could never fully fathom. Not only their own story, but the story of their ancestors. We all go back so far, and in this present moment, on this day, all the people you meet, 
on that life from generations and from so many places all over the world flows together and meets you here like a life-giving water if you only open your heart and drink. Open your heart to the incredible gifts that civilization gives to us. You flip a switch and there is electric light. You turn a faucet and there is warm water and cold water and drinkable water. It's a gift that millions and millions in the world will never experience. So these are just a few of an enormous number of gifts to which we can open your heart. And so I wish you that you will open your heart to all these blessings and let them flow through you. That everyone whom you will meet on this day will be blessed by you. Just by your eyes, by your smile, by your touch, just by your presence. Let the gratefulness overflow into blessing all around you. And then it will really be a good day. Just uh, each time I watch that, I'm so touched by the simplicity and the beauty of it and how we are just simply immersed in it. You know, where's, where's the presence of God? Everywhere present. Although Ernest Holmes would say that's not true because it, as electricity is everywhere present as well, but it is only valuable that we direct it and use it. And so it's present when we welcome it in our connection. And when we connect with ourselves, we connect with spirit. That's what we're connecting with. I mean... Louis talked about it at the, the front part of this when he talked about, oh my God. So, oh my God is an opportunity for us to live by each day, to have at least three or four oh my God moments, you know, to stop and look up at the sky or to wherever we may be to spend time in nature. That's one of the things that Stephen Illard talked about extensively was there's actually, the, there's actually a dust that we inhale when we're in nature that is, has probiotics in it. It's amazing, the research that they have now that activates the dopamine in the body. That's why it can be such a powerful experience. But that's an oh my God experience. When we see one another's face or we see something that moves us or inspires us, it's an oh my God moment. Oh, it caught our attention. It makes us present, it makes us mindful. When we're fully present, we're fully present with spirit. We're never more powerful than when we are fully present with ourselves. Not up in our heads figuring and scheming and worrying and strategizing, but simply present with ourselves, understanding this moment, this day. As this old man said in the video, you know, when you, you found places to be grateful for, and for this day, for this moment, for the beginning and the end, that, then you've lived this day beautifully. The my and oh my God is connecting to something deep inside our souls. It's available for all of us. Doesn't matter what our tradition is. Doesn't matter whether we believe in God or not. We all long for that, that recognition, coming home to ourselves. And then God or spirit is that personal journey we all want to be on, to be inspired, to be connected to a universe that celebrates life. 
to take our imagination like that little girl said. You know, you watch TV, it's somebody else's story, but when you tap into your imagination and you go down that path, it might take you to the beach. Just such a rich, beautiful uh, narrative on what's possible for all of us. You know, we're, we're here together in this community, be, not by accident, but because we know these things. All, for me, when I hear this, it's like, yeah, 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 that's right. That's what, that's what calls me to this. You know, I'm, I know for a long time my spiritual practice was worry and dread. Ah, you know, my, like my hair's on fire and I'm looking for a bucket of water. And then I just realized that's what brought me to meditation. I said, I can't live like this. I have to put this down or I will not live. It was spinning me into, and the, my perception was narrowing it to the point where it was like, I don't want to live like this. And so I started meditating. And then when my mom found out I was meditating, oh my God. He's joined a cult. We don't meditate. Mom, it's just a meditation practice. Please. But the point being is I knew I had to do it. There was no, there was no not doing this because I longed for that. I think we all long for that. So what I'm gr- grateful for today, I'm grateful for community. I'm grateful for, as Dr. Holmes said, to be open at the top, to look and inquire and look and see what we're called to do. You know, the the things that are happening upon the planet, how can we be part of the solution rather than continue to be part of the problem? And and, and there's many times now since I've done this research over the last 24 or 36 hours where I'll I'll see stories and I'll see things in the paper or I'll see things on television and I think, I wonder if depression's involved there. I wonder if there's some form of mental, mental health not present there. Which, you know, which really gives me a different perspective in terms of how I judge or how I discern. But the point is, is that what I know is I can do is be a better example of this in my own life and I can be a, a, a proponent and I can be in the conversation. When I was at the conversation or the, that fundraiser the other night, Laura and I went, they talked about how it's important to talk about these things. And it inspired me. I went home and wanted to talk to you about this because it, is, it, it, can, be the, it can be part of your story or part of a loved one's story, but it is not written in stone. It is not static. It is changeable. And as Dr. Allard said, which was so inspiring, he said, just to adopt these, these, these practices, some of these practices, is so amazing to watch. So we can work with ourselves and be healthy and, 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 and thrive, not just survive. We're here to, to fulfill our lives, to live a fulfilled life, and to open our hearts, as that old man said, to be able to open our hearts and sense these things and to see the beauty and see the wonder and see the God all around us. So happy Thanksgiving. Blessings.